Hello, my puny listener. <laughs> and I do say puny because today we're going to be talking about the whole planet and the vastness of the cosmos. Or rather, I am re-releasing an episode I did over half a year ago titled Gaia Theory and the Control System Hypothesis. And this is the episode where for the first time ever I started talking about the Gaia Hypothesis by name. In this episode, I provide you a hefty summary of my views on the nature of the paranormal. Or rather, my views like over a half a year ago Ago, which have not changed at all. I've grown to just expand my views. The baseline is still there. The Gaia hypothesis is a primary model of thinking about the paranormal for me, but it is not just the only thing that's going on. <laughs> so if you want to hear how I started off talking about the Gaia hypothesis, stay tuned. But the whole reason I am re-releasing the episode today is because today, on another podcast called Some Other Sphere, I have guested to talk about the Gaia hypothesis because I'm the Gaia guy now. So it may be very interesting for you to compare where I started off and where I am now. So please go to some other Sphere podcast linked in the episode description and check out their newest episode which aired just now with me talking about the Gaia hypothesis. Or if I have not convinced you enough, sit back, relax, and enjoy getting your minds blown. Hey guys, so I've been thinking a lot today and I've been experiencing a lot of epiphanies, thinking and overthinking, maybe way too much, but I came to some conclusions on my own views on the nature of the paranormal. And I do say nature because nature is a big part of it, <laughs> as you'll see. So I decided to record this now until my epiphany kinda expires from my head. So as you notice, this is totally unscripted, totally unplanned. I am literally in my kitchen right now with my phone in front of my face and I am recording this and I'm gonna make it an episode. This is actually going to be a continuation of my Chasing Owls Bedazzlement of the Cosmic Joker episode, which I put out like a year ago, which is, you know, the... It was the inspiration behind this whole podcast. I made it for Darwin's Deviations as a side episode to episode 18, where I talked about aliens being, you know, extra dimensional entities or archetypes within our minds. And I still cling to these ideas, but I've refined them over the past year. And this will be my official, how would I put it, uh, explanation of my own theories, which you may find very wild and very unique and maybe bizarre. But hear me out, please. <laughs> so as you know, I have a degree in biology. Biology is everything to me. Uh, studying biology, I have learned about how life functions in every hierarchy of its existence 
from the single cell to the whole biosphere as a conglomeration of every organism on this planet. And when you study these different hierarchies of biological existence, you start seeing patterns between them. You start seeing how life is organized into different layers, into different planes of existence, and how organisms aggregate to create superorganisms, which aggregates to create ultra-mega organisms and whatnot. Cells organize together to create a human, and humans organize together to create a society, and societies organize together to create humanity and you know in biology we call this the cell the individual as the multicellular organism then individuals forming populations populations forming communities which interact with the non-living habitats to form an ecosystem and similar ecosystems which maintain these interactions between themselves form biomes and all the biomes form the biosphere well i have been talking about this concept on forums, on Discord chats throughout the last year or so. And one day I stumbled upon a guy who told me, yeah, dude, that is totally the Gaia theory. And I'm like, what? Is that the website where people post woo-woo stuff? And he's like, no, search it up. So I searched it up. I can't believe that as a biologist, I was never made aware of what the Gaia hypothesis is because it is something that started in the 70s and it it's not really fringe, but it's not accepted by the scientific community that much in modern times. Essentially, the Gaia theory is that the planet Earth is a living being itself and that the planet Earth is a super organism composed of every organism on this planet. So every human, every animal, every plant, every fungus, every microbe, anything that is living on this planet is joined together via these interactions of redistribution of matter, flow of energy to create this giant conglomeration of a super organism that is called planet Earth which I will be referring to as Gaia. I've been using Mother Nature to refer to it, but Gaia is more fitting. And you know how your body, composed of millions and millions of cells, is a self-sustained system and has these control mechanisms that keep all your cells in line, working in unison to keep this conglomerated system alive and functioning and self-sufficient. Well, every cell in your body is an organism for itself. But these cells, as individual organisms, have traded away their individuality in order to work together in unity to keep a super-organism alive. Now, you can say that the hierarchy of what an organism is stops at the individual level. If it's a multicellular organism, that's this individual would be the multicellular organism composed of millions of cells. Let's say a human, a rabbit, a tree. But as a biologist, I have learned throughout my education that this is not the truth. Populations, like even organized groups of individuals of the same species, form these interactions between each other. Mostly these are interactions of reproduction, as we learn in biology. But isn't a population an organism? Because it has interactions between its constituents, where these individuals exchange resources and maintain some kind of 
of collective metabolism and isn't a system that establishes its own metabolism, essentially an organism, a living being. It is not a living being as we'd perceive it because we live in the plane of existence of one single individual multicellular organism, but we are talking about things that are much greater than us. Not one person, but every person collectively. And now, aren't groups of different populations, meaning groups of populations of different species in the same habitat, which establish food chains between each other, which redistribute matter and energy between each other? You know, a plant feeds off of basic elements, and a herbivore eats the plant, and the primary carnivore eats the herbivore, and then that's eaten by a secondary carnivore, and then a human, and then we die, and we're reduced to the basic elements by saprobic organisms like bacteria and fungi, and this is all a cycle that goes on and on and on throughout eternity and establishes a metabolism within this community, within an ecosystem, and on a grand scale within the whole biosphere, which is the living part of this planet. And if you look at the non-living part of this planet, the geology of it, well, Per the Gaia theory, it is suggested that the living part of this planet or the biosphere interacts with the non-living part of it, the geology of it. And as these two components of the planet interact with each other, they also change each other. They form a co-evolutionary bond, and as time progresses, they evolve together. The living beings of this planet change their habitat, which is a non-living component, but then the habitat limits the ecological factors and influences the course of evolution of life on this earth, which now needs to adapt to these ecological factors. And in adapting into new forms of life, these new forms of life also change the geology of this planet, which also then limits them with new ecological factors and so on and so on throughout millions and millions of years. Isn't this a metabolism? Isn't this enough to say that the whole planet is an organism and is a living being. It is not a living being as we see it from our perspective of puny little humans, but it is a giant super organism that we are also a part of, and we are its building blocks. We are its cells, just like our cells are the building blocks of us. And I mean, this is only on the level of one single planet, but you know that planets organize into solar systems and solar systems into galaxies and galaxies into galaxy clusters and who knows what else. Maybe all the galaxies that we know of and most that we don't know of form some kind of cosmic amoeba that we cannot comprehend as a life form, but we are essentially a part of its being, and we compose it. We are the molecule of reality itself and the cosmos. And just how your body has mechanisms in place to control its own building blocks, in our case, cells, why wouldn't the cosmos have a built-in self-control mechanism to regulate its own building blocks? which is everything living and non-living that exists in the cosmos, and we are a part of that. This is where I get to the paranormal, 
because the Gaia theory, it has nothing to do with the paranormal. It is a legit scientific hypothesis that exists within biological science. It is not fully supported by scientists today, though it does make a lot of sense. If you study ecology, if you study the metabolism of ecosystems, if you study climate and how climate changes and the cycles of water and stuff like that, there are metabolic processes happening on a grand scale on this planet. So how does the paranormal come into place here? Well, I recently read some kind of article. I will link it, but it is an article uh, essentially on baiting the paranormal and on what they call the self-control mechanism hypothesis. It mentions Jacques Vallée a lot and his ideas that the paranormal is some kind of self-control mechanism of the planet or of the cosmos, which triggers when humans overstep a certain boundary that we are maybe not aware of even. And this boundary is set to place in order to spark this, let's say it's stage play, this projection, so we can view it, so we can react to it, so we can maybe be put back in place and stop overstepping this boundary. And this makes perfect sense to me when I think about how living systems evolve and how they are organized. Like even a cell in your body has self-control mechanisms put in place in order to control the vast amount of biochemical processes and physiological processes that exist within the cell. The cell itself can be viewed as a whole planet with its own metabolism. The whole body has self-control mechanisms which control how cells divide, how they organize, how they specialize to form tissues and organs, how all these tissues and organs interact with each other to form this cohesive system where millions and millions of cells are working specialized functions as a giant corporation in order to keep you alive. And the only reason you are alive as the multicellular being is because of these self-control mechanisms. And now if we view the planet Gaia as a living superorganism, and as every organism, including a single cell, has self-control mechanisms put in place to control its building blocks, to work in unity for the greater good of sustaining this superorganism and keeping it alive, then surely the planet Earth has self-control mechanisms, which are there to keep every single living being on this planet in its own place, in its own ecological niche. Because the best way for a giant conglomerated system to thrive is if every constituent of the system has a certain function, a certain niche, and stays within the boundaries that are set for it. I will link this article in the episode description. I highly encourage you to read it. If nothing, at least it will open your mind and, and make you think outside of the box and make you think of the paranormal in a completely different light. But once I read that article, everything just came together. And no, I didn't read it today. I read it like months ago. And I've been just thinking and thinking about these things and digesting them and talking with my friends. And <laughs> I'm so annoying. I no, sorry guys, but I'm learning along the way. And I, I just want to imprint my thoughts now into this so I can share them. So I don't have to explain myself every time I, I find a new friend and we talk about paranormal stuff. It, this is so complex. I can't possibly explain my views on this whole situation with just a few sentences in a chat. 
So if the paranormal is a self-control mechanism, it would make perfect sense if this is the actual self-control mechanism of the Earth itself, if the Earth is a giant superorganism. Now, humans are very, very unique when it comes to living beings, when it comes to what we perceive as living beings on our plane of existence as individual multicellular entities, because as I said, populations and ecosystems and biomes and the planet are all organisms. But I digress. We are very unique when it comes to individual multicellular organisms. We have what we perceive as free will. We have what we perceive as intelligence. Maybe we have uh, more intelligence than we should. And this is a threat to the status quo of the whole planet its metabolism, because the more we progress as a species, technologically, intellectually, the more we are breaking ourselves apart from Gaia, from planet Earth, from the superorganism that we compose. Just as, let's say, a cancer cell in your body, the more it progresses and spreads, the more, the more it is not a part of your body and it is becoming its own separate thing and is causing damage to the equilibrium of the whole system. So as we evolved, and yes, I am not a creationist, and if you are and are offended by me talking about evolution, I mean, I call myself Darwin, what did you expect? But as we evolved, and as evolution is influenced and controlled by nature, by Gaia, by natural selection, our adaptations, our bodies have been molded by the superorganism that we are a part of for the purpose of keeping it alive. Our brains, however much we think we have free will, it is only a bubble that keeps us as intelligent beings within our place in the universe, within our ecological needs. So Gaia, so Mother Nature, so the planet Earth, and even the cosmos as a whole can harness us for redistribution of matter flow of energy for its own metabolism, because we are its building blocks, just as we are harnessing every molecule in our bodies to keep us alive. So surely the way our minds are hardwired is greatly influenced by nature, which evolved us to this point. And if we have evolved intelligence, if we have evolved abstract thought, if we now live in a dimension that is no longer material and nature exists as a material entity, we have overstepped a certain boundary. But in evolving the capacity to tap into this abstract, non-material dimension of existence, we have opened up a new domain for nature, for Gaia, to exist and to influence us and to imprint a psychological self-control mechanism within ourselves. So guys, I believe the paranormal, the Fortean, is a psychosocial self-control mechanism of the planet that was hardwired into our minds. It is a part of the human experience. I don't know how aware you are of Carl Jung, the Swiss psychologist, and his ideas of archetypes essentially symbols and icons that exist within a social unconsciousness and are shared between all people and are part of the human experience. And people just conjure up these images because our brains are hardwired to come up with these symbols. This is why every civilization around the world built pyramids. Even if these civilizations did not communicate with each other, no, you do not need aliens to explain this. The only explanation to this is that we are all humans and share a social unconsciousness. We all tap into this abstract domain of existence. And within this abstract domain are these symbols and these icons, this pyramid as a shape that is common and shared between 
between all people. And this is how all people around the world have come up with the same shapes and the same structures independently. It is a part of the framework of our psyche. And you know, pyramids are not the only symbols commonly shared between all of humanity. There are also monsters. Icons which are there to sprout within our minds so we may rationalize the unknown and the scary and the terrifying. It is the only way our minds rationalize that which we cannot fathom. What we cannot fathom is that which is unknown to us. Unexplored frontiers that we do not control. Liminal spaces forests, or the open ocean, or abandoned structures, or even mountains, or the sky, or outer space. And these are all components of Gaia, of its geology. We stumble upon these frontiers, these liminal spaces, these points which connect the known with the unknown, these borderlines of our own activity, of our own niche, of our own place in the universe, and we react to them by conjuring these archetypal images of monsters. And these monsters act as the gatekeepers to the borderlines of the unknown, so we may be discouraged from overstepping the boundaries that are set in place for us, our own position in the cosmos, by nature, by the universe itself, because we are here to do a certain job, just as a lung cell or a blood cell cell in your body is there to do a certain job and live within the confines of what it perceives to be free will, but actually the meaning of its existence is to sustain a self-sustaining conglomerated system. So yeah, people, I think monsters are real, but they are within our heads and we carry them along with ourselves. Even when we overstep these boundaries and delve into the unknown frontiers, we eventually stumble upon things we cannot explain. And as we carry these control mechanisms within our minds and within our psyches and within a social unconsciousness that we all tap into and share, these unknown frontiers spark these reactions within us. They trigger the manifestation of monsters. Now I can go down the route that everybody knows me for and say that we conjure up talpas and that all these monsters are talpas, that they are thought forms that we manifest into the real world via the power of will. But the more I think about these things, the more I feel that they are projections of our anxieties on a primordial instinctual level, and that we all witness these things because we are all human, because we share a social unconsciousness, because we tap into the same archetypes. I do not believe that Bigfoot is a real creature out there, and you can unsubscribe from my show if that pisses you off. I don't care. I am creating content that I want to be out there. I am imprinting my ideas. And isn't that why we are all podcasting? No, I don't believe Bigfoot is a substantial material creature out there in the woods. But I do believe Bigfoot is real, not materially, abstractly, as a Jungian psychosocial archetype that exists within the social unconsciousness of humanity, an archetype of a wild man. 
or an ape man. And you may say, then how is there a Bigfoot all around the world in every culture? Because every culture is composed of humans and all humans are the same and all humans share this collective experience of being a human. We share this archetype of the wild man in the forest. And when we react to the liminality of the forest, of this space in Mother Nature, which is there as a borderline between the unknown and the known, which is there to discourage us from progressing beyond the boundaries of what nature set in place for us, then our minds react by conjuring monsters by conjuring these archetypal images. I may be pulling this all out of my ass, <laughs> but this is this is how I rationalize everything. This is what I truly believe in. I believe monsters are real, but I don't believe they are real the way that you want them to be real. And I believe that these monsters are a valuable tool for scientific research, not to categorize them as a potentially undiscovered animal that we can hunt down and then prove the scientists wrong. No, they are symbols and icons of the social unconsciousness of our cultures, of our psyches. And these monsters can be studied within sociology, within psychology, within folklore, within history even. We may use them as valuable tools to analyze the mental, the social, the historical context of the witness in that point in time and space where the sighting occurred. This shit is much deeper and much more important important and much more insightful than even scientists or even the paranormal community give it credit. And instead of unifying our disciplines and studying the, these things for what they are, instead of studying them as these abstract concepts, which we surely know they are for a start, I mean, even a zebra existed as a folkloric creature before it was discovered by science or I should rather say, discovered by white Europeans who were colonizing Africa. It existed within culture, within folklore, within society, of every human culture and every every mind that came into contact with this creature. Every person that interacts with an animal in the wild transcends the existence of that animal from its purely miserable biological existence within its own lifespan, within the confines of the ecological factors which limit its abilities to strive, we transcend it into an abstract existence and we form myths and legends and we form these archetypes which we share between each other. I like to use the example of the Flatwoods monster. Yeah, I'm gonna piss people off. I believe it was a great horned owl, but this stupid great horned owl lived and died, but it transcended its miserable biological existence into a whole cultural and abstract existence of a whole other species that being humans and formed this mythology of a Flatwoods monster that we still talk about and we still create podcasts about we film documentaries we add it in video games we make t-shirts of it all because of this one owl which was at the wrong place at the wrong time and the interaction of our minds with this owl, which triggered the psychosocial manifestation of these archetypal monsters that we all share because we are all humans. Isn't that much more interesting than skeptics saying, yeah, it's just an owl, move right along. Or believers saying, oh, it's an alien. Ooh, alien. Aliens are not as interesting as humans are. And I think... <laughs> 
I hope that I have sparked somebody's interest to maybe appreciate the human condition more and maybe see how we are more capable than we give ourselves credit for. So moving right along, if this whole paranormal stuff is a self-control mechanism of the planet that was imprinted into our minds during evolution, so we may react to the unknown with monsters... So we may remain where we are and continue contributing to the existence of the super organism that we are part of. Then why are we stepping into these unknown frontiers? Why is this not working? Well, evolution is not always, you know, perfect. We have maybe evolved beyond what is normal and natural for us, intellectually wise. We have become brave and we have become cocky enough to overstep these natural boundaries and move into the unknown frontiers and eventually progress industrially, technologically. And now all these forests which have been very mysterious to us, these liminal spaces which have conjured images of Bigfoot and fairies and other beings, we are clearing these forests out and we are covering them in fucking concrete. We are isolating ourselves from Gaia, from nature which birthed us, and we are forming this artificial bubble around ourselves where we isolate our minds from the influence of the superorganism we are composing. We have chased away all the fairies from the forest, and now the only place they can go is up into the sky and into outer space. And now people are no longer seeing fairies though some are, but we are seeing UFOs and aliens. Well, maybe these UFOs and aliens are the monsters that we have banished into the only unexplored frontier that still inspires awe and fear and primordial terror in the human outer space and the sky, frontiers which we cannot control yet. And as we progress, we are still humans, and we still carry with ourselves these self-control mechanisms and these archetypes. We need our heads. Even if we travel into space, we bring our heads with ourselves, and our heads are filled with monsters. So wherever we go and whatever frontier we dominate and control and cover in technology and concrete to make ourselves feel safe and isolated from the unknown, we still stumble upon layers and layers and layers of these boundaries which interact with our minds and conjure up these primordial reactions and images because we are human and because nature has fucked us from the moment of our inception. We are only a derivative of the natural world, which is the original, and the derivative can never be more perfect than the original. And yeah, I know, I have not even mentioned the cosmic joker at all in this episode. It was something that I was using to personify this force and this factor which keeps us in line, which is a component of the cosmos of nature itself. I did not know at the time how to define it other than a trickster, which is there to fuck with our minds so we may be put back in place. But we do not need tricksters to fuck with our minds because we are the ones carrying the monsters within our own heads, reacting to the reality of nature itself. By conjuring these monsters, we are the tricksters and the only ones we are tricking is ourselves. So yeah, it's not a cosmic joker. It's a control mechanism. It is just us being human. Now, as I said, think of me as a crackpot. Laugh at my ideas if you want. Still keep believing in Bigfoot. I'm all for it. 
I know people want these things to be tangible. They want to find evidence. They want to prove them as a part of the material world. I just can't view it that way. We've been looking for physical evidence forever and found nothing because maybe we've been looking in the wrong place. Maybe we've been treating this as something material and scientific when it's abstract and when it is within ourselves. You ask the witnesses how big this creature was and where they saw it, and then you move through the forest and just move forward and forward and never locate it, because you never think to just turn back to the witnesses or to the natives, if this is an indigenous culture, and just ask them about how they feel and what they have experienced. Because you'll find your monsters there. They are a part of our minds. They exist within all of us. And they are something that brings us all together that we can all understand on some primordial instinctual level. I don't know. Just don't be afraid of treating this stuff as folklore, as sociology. If nothing, at least it's the first step to legitimizing all of this. And as I said, numerous creatures have existed as mythology, as legend, and have eventually been discovered by the mainstream scientific community. And the reason that the mainstream scientific community even took their time to go and seek these creatures out is because their interest was first sparked by these legends, by this lore, by the culture. I hope, even though we're talking about imperial white bastards from Europe. <laughs> so yeah. It has been a long while now recording this, and I'm feeling like my ideas are, are expiring. I'm very thankful that I have imprinted my ideas here this way, that I am sharing them with you, that one person who is still listening now, because everybody else got pissed. So yeah, I guess have a good night, and I hope I haven't broken your view on reality much but you need to think about these things and come to your own conclusions and think outside the box don't don't accept other people's narratives think for yourself see what makes the most sense to you and don't be afraid to share it with the world because at least we can all podcast now and express these ideas and share them and share this collective knowledge just like we share monsters 